And we're going to turn to the book of Jonah. We finished the book of Colossians and thought we would go to an Old Testament prophet, Jonah. And as you're looking for Jonah in the Old Testament, let me just say a few things. Um, it's a matter of fact that if you read the first chapter, you see God's indictment, God's chastisement upon Jonah, also upon Israel, and you could say the church of that day, because it failed to worship the Lord, as was his rightly due. It failed to worship him in all his glory, and, and therefore it did not want to spread the name of God throughout the world. And now you see something of, you know, that, that the Lord's calling Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach a foreign city. And Jonah says, oh, no way. And, uh, but that's what we'd like to focus this morning is on Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. And we, if you, as we read through it, look how the Lord relentlessly and graciously pursues his disobedient prophet, right? His disobedient preacher, the servant of the Lord. Jonah chapter 1. We hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Cry out against it, for their wickedness have come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found the ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the, mar then the mariners were afraid. And every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, laid down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country, and what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. Or another translation is, I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. 
Do not charge us with the innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Isn't that amazing? You know how the heathens end up coming to worship the Lord. And Jonah, what a petulant, stingy in his mercy kind of prophet, right? It's just as you read through it, you just you see the indictment on, on God's people and on the church. But at the same time, you see the grace of God pursuing him. Anyway, that's what we focus on this morning is Jonah chapter 1. We know that, uh, you know, doing our own will and not the will of God, isn't that the struggle of the Christian, right? My will be done. That's the, that's the heart of the sinful person. Even the Christian has to struggle with that. To Jonah, God said, go. And Jonah, the prophet of the Lord, said, no. That was his response. He didn't say it in words wise. He just showed it in his actions. He was being very polite about it. He wasn't going to shout it out. He just merely kind of ignored it and walked his own way. And this from a prophet of the Lord in Israel. So what's the context of this book? We should just look at that briefly so that we kind of lay out what was going on in Israel at that time. It's about, it's about 750 years before the birth of Christ. So we're looking at that kind of time. And we learn from a reference to Jonah in 2 Kings 14.25. And there we read that Jonah ministered, right? He ministered as a prophet of the Lord, as a servant of the Lord, during the reign of Jeroboam the second, Israel's God's people were very unfaithful at that time, worshiping other gods. And this shows in their wicked king, Jeroboam. It says there, who did evil in the sight of the Lord. That was the state of the church in that day. They were looking more like the world, looking like more like the, the nations who worshiped other gods, they were quickly erasing their differentness. They, they, they were quickly erasing their set-apartness that God had intended for them to be a light to the nations. And yet we see that God was so merciful to Israel. As a matter of fact, God was blessing them in spite of their sin. Why? Perhaps it's for this reason, that his goodness to them might lead them to repentance. You know, just because God is blessing us doesn't mean God's real favor is upon us. But sometimes, for Israel then, it was, his purpose was to lead them to repentance. God is showing himself to be merciful. But Israel, Israel's heart was not towards the Lord. And that happens in times of prosperity. Sometimes in times when we're very prosperous, God's people often forget the Lord. Israel forgot. Oh, they were blessed. Oh, they were blessed. They were thanking the other gods. They were formally, maybe in a 
In a formal way, they were thanking the true God, but their hearts were after other gods. You know, God blesses us for this very reason, that we may be a blessing to the nations. We're not intended to be pots. God never created a church to be a pot. No, he created the church to be channels, giving our lives away, giving our blessings away so that others may come to know the glory of God and display the God of all grace. You know, Israel, God's people had lost sight of that. And that's what we're going to see in in Jonah. What you see in Jonah is what you see in the church of that day. Now the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Arise, go. But he sends him where? Notice, he doesn't send him to Israel. Israel doesn't want it. Israel doesn't, Israel doesn't want the word of the Lord. And usually it was the case that a prophet would go to Israel. No, but God now sends him instead to a foreign city, Nineveh. I think uh, Roshanak knows about Nineveh. Okay, so God says to Jonah, you go to Nineveh. And that was the capital of Assyria in that day. Still Nineveh today, but you see the battle of the wills now. God and Jonah. And we see two things here, verses 1, 2, and 3. Jonah you could say, deserts God's call. Jonah disobeys God's call, in other words. And two, so God sends a storm. God chastises his prophet. We'll see those two points this morning. If you look at verses 1, 2, and 3, even chapter 1, it's very interesting. This book is about God, not about Jonah. We have to be really clear about that. Because chapter 1 begins with the word of God, and it ends with the word of the Lord. We didn't read verse 17. But also the whole book begins with the word of the Lord and it ends with the word of the Lord. Jonah is not the main character. It's not a story about Jonah, okay? But it's a, it's a story about God and who he is. Yet Jonah may share his difficult experiences like we do. We may talk about how he pulled through it. But more important is how the Lord wrestles for the heart of Jonah. He corners him, he encircles him, and Jonah's always trying to escape, trying to get out of it. But God here wants to show how he wrestles for the heart of Jonah, and in so doing, he shows a kind of God who he is, and how he is going to fulfill his plan, his sovereign will, and no one can fight against it ultimately. Verses 1 and 2, God's commission is clear. Arise, go to the Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. God gives three clear commands. Very strong, forceful. Go, arise, go, cry out. What does cry out mean here? Preach, proclaim the word of the Lord. To whom? To Nineveh. There's a sense of urgency here. It's almost like the Lord is saying, okay, let me step out of Israel now. They've, they've chosen their gods. I want you, Jonah, now to go to Nineveh. And the reason why God sends Jonah to Nineveh is clear. God says, for their wickedness 
has come up before my face. That's literal translation uh, there. Has come up before my face. It was literally foul smelling. The stink of sin. It just literally smells foul in the face of God. It had reached its limits. Nineveh, as you know, was the capital at that time. It was the capital of this emerging superpower. It was kind of like what the United States was a few years ago, the superpower of the world, not anymore. But Assyria was the superpower, and Nineveh was its, was its capital. And the people leaving there are described as wicked. That's the term that's used there. And Jonah 3, verse 8 mentions two things about them. It mentions their evil ways and their violence. Like so many other cities, right? It was a city full of evil and depravity on every street corner. It was just there in your face. How does the prophet then Jonah respond to the word of the Lord? You know, that must have struck him strange. We're the Christians. They're just the unbelievers. What do, what do we have to do with them? God says, arise, go, cry out. Will Jonah obey the word of the Lord? Well, we, he doesn't say anything, but he arises. Jonah arose. So far, so good. He asks no questions. He gets ready. He packs his bags in his backpack, and he's ready to go. But for what purpose? In order to run from God. He goes in order to run from God. See verse 3, but Jonah rose not to go to Nineveh, but to go to Tarshish. From where? Fleeing from where? Fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He goes, but instead of going 500 miles to the northeast, where Assyria was, Nineveh was, he plans to go so far away from God, 2,500 miles west, via Joppa, all the way to Tarshish. Far, 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 far away of God. But meanwhile, he's running, God is there with him the whole time. He doesn't, he, he should know better as a theologian, as a pastor, as a prophet, verse 3 says, he went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. Ah, this must be God's will because everything is working out so smoothly. See that? I went to Joppa and look at that. God provided a ship for me. It must be all okay. Jonah, but you're doing all this in disobedience to the command of God. God takes disobedience very seriously. But he's not thinking about that. He's thinking, probably thinking, God has provided a ship for me. Everything seems to be going so smoothly. Except he's disobeying the word of the Lord. But disobeying the word of the Lord can never be right. It can never be an excuse. Right? There is never a good reason... There's never a legitimate excuse for disobeying the word of the Lord. There's no blessing in that. But you know what? Jonah was happy. He had his backpack on his back. And he paid his fare, had enough money. And it says he went down into the boat, 
to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Why does he want to go to Nineveh? Is it because he's afraid? No, it's not because he's afraid. Matter of fact, if you look at Jonah 4 verse 2, Jonah gives the reason later. He doesn't give the reason now, but later he gives the reason to God for his running away from God. He says, I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. And if anything, Jonah hated those people. They were a threat to Israel. They were enemies. And God, he knows Jonah to be the kind of God who is merciful, merciful enough to even bring the gospel there. He knows that if God sends him to preach to Nineveh, God must have merciful intentions. God's, you know what? Anytime you preach the word, God's offer of grace and forgiveness is always there. That's what he called Jonah to do. You go there. Yeah, they're en your enemies. They're the bleh, but you go there. You declare my mercy for all who repent and believe. Uh-uh, not Jonah. Oh, no. Jonah does not want God to show his mercy towards Israel's terrible enemies. Terrible enemies, which is Assyria. Jonah's thinking that his mercy, God's mercy, should only be for them. Only for the Christians. Right? We! It's a sense of entitlement, not a privilege of going out to the nations. A sense of entitlement and a sense of selfishness. Perhaps it was a sign. Perhaps it was a sign that God was ready to judge Israel and reject Israel for his wickedness. It happens sometimes, right? God takes the word away from a, from a, from a people who's disobedient to him and gives it to another. And he says, let me display my glory in them. A people that we would least think possible that God would, would go to. But then, you know, Jonah now is just avoiding. He's just avoiding. Why does Jonah not want to stay in the land of Israel? That's another question. I mean, he could just avoid and say and stay in the land of Israel. No. He wants to go to Tarshish. Why? You know what Jonah's doing here? By leaving the land. In this case, it's like leaving the church. The church of Jesus Christ. Jonah, you know what? By doing his own will, is leaving all the protection, leaving from all the protection of the Lord, leaving from all the protection that the word gives. He wants to leave it all. He thinks he can find safety outside of the church. He thinks he can find safety outside of the Lord, outside of the word. But will he? You know, the safest place is always in the will of God to be under the Lord, to be obedient to his word. It's very dangerous to be on the outside. Wow. How will this end? What's going to happen to Nineveh? Jonah, you are such a miser in your mercy. You don't care. You don't care about the other people's. But above all, how will the Lord now react to Jonah? 
how long will the servant get away with disobeying God? You know, to, to disobey God, to leave him is absurd, is foolish, no matter what reasons we give to excuse ourselves. But yes, everything seems to be going smoothly, not a glitch in his life, at least at this moment, until verse 4. God sends a storm. Verse 16, 4 to, 4 to 16. You know, verse 4 really emphasizes God, okay? God's response. God now begins to oppose, not the sailors, but they, he begins to oppose the prophet of the Lord, Jonah. That's his goal, is to oppose him. The Lord sent out, literally says, hurled, so far a powerful wind, a great wind on the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. What's God going to do to Jonah, the disobedient prophet? Jonah foolishly thought that he could sort of evade God's grip. He will not let the servant, but God will not just let the servant go and follow his own little itinerary. That's what Jonah is doing. He's I'm going to make my own itinerary. Thank you. No, he should have remembered the psalm, the words of Psalm 139, 7 and 8. Where can I flee from your presence? If I'm in Sheol, if I'm in the depths, you are there. As Jonah is running away from God, who's on the ship with him? God is. Verses 4 through 16, you see two responses. Basically, you see two responses in the rest of the chapter. That's what I'm going to focus on. Two responses to God hurling a great wind on the sea. Let's just look at it generally first so we get the bigger picture. The first response is Jonah. And Jonah, he knows the Lord. He knows the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And although the Lord clearly confronts him, although the Lord clearly confronts him, Jonah will not listen. The other group is whom? The sailors. Okay, they're the ones who are worshiping other gods. You know, the bad people? You know, they worship other idols? They don't know who God is. But they come to know him and worship him. Yeah, it's kind of like a foreshadowing of what God, God's going to do in Nineveh. But here, God is teaching Jonah something. So let's look at that a little bit more deeply. Notice, first of all, Jonah's response to the Lord. Verse 5. You know, the sailors are, are terribly scared. And each one says, it says here, each one was crying out to his own God. So there are probably a lot of different sailors on there who each had their own God. So many different gods they were crying out to. Crying out, of course, that their gods would rescue them, that their gods would deliver them. With great panic. What are they doing? They're throwing their cargo. Right? It was probably a cargo ship, cargo ship going to the port in Tarshish. But he just throw it overboard just to lighten the ship during the storm. So they're working hard. Where's Jonah? Boy, he is. It just seems like he's resting in the Lord. And he fast asleep, it says, verse 5. Fast asleep. But Jonah had got down, it says in verse 5, to the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down and was fast asleep. 
You know, Jonah's just moving further and further away from God in his heart. First, you know, he goes, that's the wording, wording of the text here. He goes down to Joppa, down into the ship, and now down into the lowest parts of the ship. He's moving further and further and further away from God. If only God, perhaps he's thinking this, if only God sees I'm not really interested in obeying the call, maybe God will somehow change his mind about this. He's manipulating God. So yeah, God gets a Jonah's attention through the storm, right? but Jonah's really not paying attention. You see the, you know, you really get to see, it only takes the grace of God to soften the heart. Jonah's heart is really hard here. But you know what? God then confronts Jonah through who? Through the unbelievers. Through the unbelieving sailors who were on the boat with him. Verse 6. The captain came to Jonah and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Think of Ephesians 4. Rise, O sleeper. Rise from the dead. It's almost like they see Jonah as that sleeper. Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us and that we may not perish. You know, through them, God confronts Jonah with a seriousness. Jonah, this is serious. You're disobeying me. They're calling on Jonah now to pray to the Lord God for them. Does Jonah pray? He doesn't have an ounce of love or mercy in his heart for them. Does he listen to the plea of the captain? There is no indication that Jonah had any intention of calling upon the Lord. There's no indication that he cares whether or not they perish or that they perish in their sin and go to hell. Jonah only cares about himself and his knapsack on his back and getting to Tarshish to do his own thing. Wow, that's his attitude towards the Ninevites, really. Through the sailors, okay, so through the sailors, um, what else does God do? God draws out a confession from Jonah, finally. The first time that Jonah speaks in this book, God is going to make sure that the sailors hear his word, the word of the Lord, one way or another. But even then, you know, Jonah's confession of the truth is very hollow, very empty. How does this come about? Well, the sailors cast lots so they may know the cause of the trouble that has come upon them. And where does the lot fall? <laughs> it falls right on Jonah. Now, they're probably trusting in their gods. But you know what? Who's in charge of all the gods? Who's, in, who's, who's the sovereign one who works out all things according to his purpose and will? It's God. The God of Jonah. He's the one that makes sure that the lot falls on Jonah. God confronts Jonah again. It's kind of like, you know, the grip is he closing in on him. But God is so patient. He's not going to just go like this. He just closes in ever so mercifully and gracious, trying to get his attention. And so God confronts Jonah again. Let's see verse 8. Then they said to him, please tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? Well, can you imagine Jonah answering all those questions? Well, 
I'm a Christian. I come from the church. I'm a pastor. Verse 9, Jonah says this. He says, I'm a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. You know, it's a very hollow confession here. There's no, no awe can be heard, no enthusiasm can be heard in these words. There's no call to repentance. There's nothing. It's just very bland. His fear of God doesn't show itself in his own repentance and conversion. And if he worships God, as he says he does, if he fears God as he says he is, why is he running away from him rather than obeying him? And if he knows God made the sea in the dry land, why is he running away by the sea, by way of the sea? On the other hand, look at the response. We look at the response of Jonah, right? Moving further and further away from the Lord. Even as the Lord is saying, I'm not going to let you go, Jonah. I'm not going to let you go. You're going to fulfill my plan. You're going to fulfill my call. But on the other hand, look at the response of the pagans, the idol-worshiping sailors, verses 10 through 16. They hear Jonah's confession, and then what does it say? They're extremely or exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, why have you done this? You know, they find something more terrifying than the storm. What's more terrifying than the storm? Coming face to face with a true and loving God. They cry out. They acknowledge. They begin to see. Far more dangerous than the storm is coming face to face before God in an unrepentant state. Now they're face to face with the Lord God. God, you could say, with a capital G. Now they know that their idols are nothing. And verse 16, you know, it really indicates that the, that the sailors repented of their idol worship. Maybe they cast them into the sea. That could very well be. And we see them praying, praying to the Lord, the God of heaven and earth. And then not only that, they worship him and offer sacrifices to him of thanksgiving. The storm, of course, alone did not make them repent. Nothing in life can, no, no experiences per se alone can make us repent. It's the word of the Lord, right, that the Lord uses to bring people to repentance. That's why God made sure that Jonah said something from his mouth, albeit fully, uh, fully uh, lack of luster, not enthusiastic. God nonetheless still used the word of Jonah, the word of truth, to bring the sailors to their knees. The Lord made that word effectual. And that's why, you know what, as God's people, when we share the word, we don't have to think we have to be like a Billy Graham. You just share the word in your own way. The Lord can make that word effectual. He did that through Jonah, in his, even in his disobedient state. God used Jonah's word of truth, weak and hollow, but he brought those sailors to faith in the true living God. And what about Jonah himself? They said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. But Jonah 
He's still not repenting. He sees the acts of God before them in the changing of the lives of the sailors and still his heart is so hard. He doesn't say, roll back. I've sinned. I'm repenting. No. Instead of repenting, Jonah says, you know what? Just pick me up. Throw me into the sea. I mean, after all, it's wrong to commit suicide. So he didn't want to throw himself into the sea. So he's law abiding. But he says to them, you pick me up and you throw me into the sea. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. In other words, Jonah would rather die than listen to God's call in his life. Notice that they show more compassion to Jonah, these sailors, than Jonah ever showed for them. He didn't help them. He didn't pray for them. He just was like a stone before them. And so you see their compassion for Jonah. They don't want to throw Jonah into the sea. Look at verse 13. The men rode hard to return to the land, but they couldn't, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. They, not Jonah, cried out to the Lord. See that? It's capital O-L-O-R-D, the Lord God, the God of heaven and earth. They cry out to him in humble dependence. We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. Do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. What a confession. Lord, you are carrying out your pleasure according to your sovereign will and purposes. They submit themselves to the mighty sovereign hand of God. Lord, you're doing as you please. Wow, what a confession that we see here. And you see the blessed result as well. What do they do? After picking up Jonah and throwing him to the sea, the sea ceased from its raging. Wow. The prophet of God in the depths of the water, the heathen sailors converted to God on the boat on calm waters. God's truth and his righteousness is displayed. He can work the way he chooses. Israel, you are unfaithful to the word of God. Some simple life lessons for the church today. You know, the greatest problem in our nation today, in the nation of Canada today, is not the liberal government. It's not the LGBTQ movement, it's an unrepentant church. A church that is not willing to bend itself under the word of God and obey. And the Lord is wrestling, perhaps wrestling to bring about the repentance of his church. And on the way, he may chastise us. He may chastise the church. I'm talking about the church generally now. But we can thank God that he would be doing this because where would the church be? If he wasn't doing it for Jonah, where would Jonah be? 
Yes, God sends chastisements, hardships, but he does so as a shepherd to bring his people back to repentance and to return. Oh, sometimes he might let his people go away on their own for a time so that they feel how hard life is, right? Because living a life of sin, of disobedience is very painful, very hard, it always is. Though immediately it might not look that way. But God wrestles with his children to bring them to the safe and righteous ways. His intentions are always merciful, that we might find protection in him and his blessed ways. But second thing here, second lesson, the church is bigger than any, or sorry, put it this way, the church is bigger than you or me or than any one person. God has the nations in mind. That's why he blesses, because he intends for us to be a light in the community around us, even here in Brampton. You know what? There is, I mean, um, there are far-reaching consequences of sin. And what are those far-reaching consequences? It brings God's chastisement to sinners. And it jeopardizes others who are not directly responsible. Think of the sailors. Jonah, directly responsible for our sin, who's affected? The ones who are not responsible, the sailors. And so, yeah, together, we are in the same ship, so to speak. The storm threatened the sailors as well as Jonah. And that's what sin does. Sin never unites. It always isolates and ruins relationships. It impacts others in a negative way. Not obeying the Lord, not, no, not only negatively affects our relationship with the Lord, but also in our relationships with others who sit with us in the same boat as it were. Third, for the sailors, it was unthinkable that someone tries to flee from God. Once they come to know God, he says, why would you ever do that? If people who don't know the Lord realize who he is, they consider us to be crazy when we do not serve him with enthusiasm and with great joy and with thankfulness abounding to him because there's forgiveness and grace for this true God. And finally, the life of Jonah here shows our great need for our redemption in Christ. Christ, you could say, is the anti-type of Jonah. Christ did not skirt his calling in any way. He did all that the Father gave him to do in complete obedience for our redemption. That's who Jonah needs. That's who we need. Christ obeyed the Father perfectly. He obeyed the law perfectly in our place, in our place. And he gave himself as the perfect sacrifice for all our sins and our depravity. You know, in Christ, we have all we need. Jonah, in Christ, you have all you need. Your redemption and also the work of the Spirit in us to obey. We have all that we need. Remember, in his wrath, God remembers mercy. On the cross, we see his wrath. We go to the cross because we see his wrath upon our sins, but placed on his son. 
And by coming to the cross, we receive mercy. All glory be to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.